Welcome to Brief Success Radio, the podcast that brings you the most up-to-date information on training, nutrition, lifestyle and business with your host, Helda Barroso. Welcome guys to another episode of the Breathe Success Podcast. Today I'm pleased to have with me Gary Mendonca. Hopefully I, I, I said that correctly, Gary. Yeah. Um, Gary, I came across Gary when I was doing my advanced nutrition course with the advanced uh, ACA, Advanced Coaching Academy. Uh, pretty much Gary uh, did all the lectures uh, via uh, video on there. And that's how I came across um, yourself. So I know you mainly for the nutrition side of things. I know that you're currently doing a lot to do with, with mindset and behavior change. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself, Gary, a little bit more to the audience, tell them who you are and what you're all about. Okay. Well, first off, Helder, thanks for inviting us on. It's very good of you. Um, basically then, um, I've been a PT 25 years. Uh, I've managed city centre gyms, leisure clubs, um, a leisure centre for the Savoy Group. And then I've kind of moved on from that and worked with elite sports people and lecture at university in sport and exercise nutrition. My first degree is in uh, applied human nutrition and my PhD is in a multidimensional um, model for the treatment of male obesity in a community setting. So basically um, helping men lose weight. And a big part of that PhD was the psychology of are people actually ready to lose weight mm-hmm. and I think the thing that's fairly unique about my PhD is it was personal trainers that took part in it so it was kind right. of real world research so, okay. so what 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 got you to, to where you are today what was what was your background before you got into all this and what what got you going to do this well I was one of the first PTs in the UK like I say 25 years ago I represented um, the UK at the first ever personal training convention in Washington in the US. Wow. And one of the things I found when working with my clients was everybody wanted to know about nutrition and I really didn't have much of a clue. I'd make it up as I went along or give them yeah. stuff <laughs> a magazine or, or if I saw it in men's health, I thought, well, that was good. I'll give them that. Yeah. And I kind of got to a point where I thought I need to learn more about this. So I, I decided I'd do a degree in nutrition and by the time I finished the degree in nutrition, I was way more interested in nutrition than I was in personal training. That's kind so of how I, moved, I feel about it, to be honest. Yeah, so I kind of moved more into that field. And off the back of that, I got some work working with Cardiff City for free, but okay. just for experience. And then ultimately, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, Knott's Forest, and I ended up as their academy nutritionist for a year. Oh, wow. So, so you, you went from personal training to working with quite elite athletes then, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, really transitioned that way. And it kind of moved on from that because I had all the nutrition skills. I was actually managing a, a leisure club for the Savoy Group in the Cotswolds. Um, I went to a trade show to buy gym equipment. And whilst I was there, I got poached by FutureFit. They basically said, what can, what can we do to kind of make you come and work for us? So I joined FutureFit. Yeah. And took over all their nutrition education. And so that kind of got me more into the education side of it with the PTs and what have you. And then FutureFit sponsored my PhD. Oh, amazing. Amazing. So that's what got into, 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 into that. Okay. So 
obviously we know with myself included, you know, I work with a lot of clients and the biggest obstacle is always uh, the mindset. There's always how to change behaviors, habits. Um, and I know that you've done a lot of research into this and you work a lot with a lot of PTs to help them with this. Um, and it's something that I battle pretty much, you know, daily with clients. Uh, and, you know, you can read a load of books on habit changing. You can read a load of books. I'm currently finishing a book called Switch. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, again, very good habits, how to change habits. But when, when, when we try to implement them into real life situations, it's not as easy as it says in the books, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, so from your experience and, and the stuff that you're going into now in terms of teaching a lot of this mindset stuff, what have you found has been the biggest things that have you come across that, that have been limiting factors for people to change? Um. I think really it's the way the trainers are working with their clients. I think a lot of PTs go into working with their clients thinking that they can motivate them and that they can make them change. And that can't be further from the truth. Mm. The only person that can make a change is the client. Yep. And actually the only person that can motivate them effectively is the client themselves because there's different types. If you look at self-determination theory, there's different types of motivation. Now, the type of motivation <clears throat> that a lot of personal trainers do is you can work harder, you're doing a great job, keep going, that type of thing. That's what is considered external motivation. Mm. And ex external motivation isn't effective. It doesn't really achieve what you think it would. Mm. The most effective type of motivation is known as internal motivation. And as it says on the sin, coming from the client themselves and so tra personal trainers have got to learn how to boost their clients internal motivation and not rely on external motivation which is ineffective okay so what would be the approach in in, in i know we're not uh, probably not got enough time to discuss all of this but what would be the approach for a personal trainer for example who's got a client and the client's just not adhering to to the to what he's trying to give them um, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. How will that PT go about speaking to that client, go about getting the client to be motivated themselves? Because one of the questions we get a lot as, as, as personal trainers, how do you motivate yourself? You know, how do you do this? You know what I mean? So how, how can we get them to, to, to a point where they are self-motivated to either stick to a diet or to go to the gym or to go for a walk, whatever it might be? Well, I think there's two things. The first thing is assess your client, find out where they are. It's interesting that a trainer will, they'll do a physical assessment, whether that be VO2 max, body measurements, whatever, you know, kind of some type of fitness test. Yes. They'll do a nutritional assessment in terms of food diaries, dietary analysis, but it's very rare that a trainer does a psychological assessment. Mm. And actually, if you don't do the psychological assessment, the other two bits are worthless yeah. because if the client isn't ready to change, you are banging your head against the brick wall. Mm. And so psychological assessment's really important. So the first thing from my research was psychometric testing. Measure where the client is in terms of their readiness to change. Now, if they're in the right headspace, for want of a better word, then you can then move forward with that client because psychologically they're kind of good to go. Yeah. But what was interesting from the research was we found that clients will take on personal trainers 
even though they're not psychologically ready to change. Mm. And, and to me, that was really, that was a bit of a surprise because you would kind of assume that, well, if someone's paying a personal trainer, yeah, they must be ready to change. Why would you do it otherwise? Yes. And so this was really interesting. So what we did in the second part of my research was we screened clients and they were only allowed to work with the trainer if they met a certain criteria. And in that second phase of the research, we had an 86% success rate for weight loss. Wow, okay. And, and so it clearly shows you must screen first, otherwise you, you might be setting yourself up for problems. And in terms of screening, uh, what would be the approach it would, of, of that screening with an, a client that you've just met um, five minutes ago? Well, available on my website is the psychometric testing um, recording. So it'll teach you how to deliver these psychometric tests. Brilliant. And what I would recommend is you either get the clients to do it online before you meet them. Yep. Or you kind of send them the forms and let them do them manually. But these days, people kind of prefer to just do it on a screen, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. I think everyone prefers that kind of stuff now, on their phone. Yeah, so, so one of the problems this throws up, of course, is, okay, so I screen my client and the tests say, this one's not ready to change. Mm. What do I do? Yes. Because like, as a trainer, you're thinking, I'm going to lose a client, yeah? Absolutely. And, and I didn't kind of know the answer to this until about four or five years ago. And then I discovered motivational interviewing. And motivational interviewing is designed to take clients that are ambivalent about change. In other words, they can see the pros, but they can see as many cons. Mm. So that type of client might say to you, yeah, I'd really love to train with you, but my time's a bit short. Mm. Very fact that they're putting the butt in there tells you that there's this many pros, but there's this many cons. They're kind of not ready yet. Yeah. And so motivational interviewing teaches you how to help that client move forward. Right. So if you've got a combination of the psychometric testing and motivational interviewing skills, you're in a solid place as a trainer because it basically means you can take any client with any mindset and help them move forward and get the results they desire. In the right direction. Yeah, so in the early stages, that might mean you are just spending time in consultation with them, just helping them get their head straight. You're not, you're not going near the gym yeah. or doing any nutrition. You're really just trying to get them in, into the, in the right, right mindset. Place. Yeah. You know what, though? This is the thing that um, it, it's easier said than done, I guess, for personal trainers because people, people will come in through your door and they'll, they'll say, well, I want to lose weight, right? Yeah. And if, if for the first four or five sessions, all you're doing is sitting in an office trying to change their mindset. I'm like, hold on a second, I'm paying this guy to, to make me exercise and all he's doing is talking to me. And, and um, obviously it's our job as, as coaches to, to explain why we're doing that so they know the path that we are going down. But on the other hand, you might have a lot of personal trainers who might be a bit skeptical about doing that because they're thinking, well, this person's probably not going to come back because I'm, I'm really digging deep here. Does that make sense? Is it, have yeah. you come across that? I have, but if, if you use psychometric tests, first yeah. off, you've got data. So you can show them their test scores. Yes. And you can say, look, I know, because the research tells us, that your test scores ultimately mean you're going to fail at this unless we get something sorted out. Mm -hmm. and, and the analogy I would kind of use with them is maybe you don't go to an orthopedic surgeon the surgeon doesn't go, oh, yeah, you've got a sore arm. Yeah, I'll fix that straight away. Of course. 
they x-ray it they assess it they make sure it's the right treatment absolutely that's exactly what you're doing you're you're assessing you're finding out where that client is and the other argument i would use because it's very often the case especially in weight management is how many times in the past have you tried to lose weight and they must probably go oh well i've done this and i've tried that yeah. and i've joined that and then you've got the perfect argument because it's like well you've tried all those things and not work. one of them's worked so surely now is the time to let's go about this in a different way. Are yes. you kind of open for that? Yes, yes. No, I, to I totally agree with you. I've, I've, that's kind of what I try and do. And I have, I usually when I sit with a client, I try and explain the situation from the word go, try and map it out so they understand that this is the number one thing. Yeah. So without this, it doesn't matter how, many, how much you sweat in the gym, you know, how healthy your diet is, you know, can you consistently do that for a long period of time if you're not committed? Probably not, right? Um, and this yeah. is one of the battles as a coach that you have to understand is that it's, it all starts, even with us as coaches, starts with yeah. this in, in anything, right? Um, so I, I would say, you would say, I guess, that every personal trainer really should look at this before anything else. Well, that it's not just me that's saying it. They've just done a report. I think it's called Raise the Bar, Future yeah. Fit and UK Active. They found that something, I think it was 74 or 80% of trainers don't have the required skill set to produce behavior change in their clients. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. They, so, also, they also don't have the nutrition skill set to, um, to help them with that either. That's story. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's on that. to be honest with you, th those are probably the two most important things. I think when it comes to changing someone's someone's w uh, way of looking, mentally and physically, is is mindset and nutrition. Yeah. You know, the personal training side of things that's pretty simple. That's why it only takes twelve weeks to a personal training course. If that, I think nowadays it's even less. Yeah, well, do it online. You can do it in a few hours. I think these exactly, days. exactly. Um, so from your experience of working with clients yourself, yeah. what would you say was the, the biggest obstacles in terms of their mindset? I, th I think misinformation. Okay. I, th I think we live in a society where everything's a quick fix. They want an instant answer. They want the perfect exercise. They want the ideal diet. And, and I always literally turn that on their head when i meet a client because i will say to them look it's your lifestyle that's got you to this point and only changing that lifestyle is going to get you back again mm -hmm. and, and i get i also highlight to them it's a long process i will say to them if i've got a 40 year old client in front of me i will say how long has it taken you to get to this point this weight this level of unfitness whatever it might be and there's a good chance they'll go, well, it's over the last 10, 20 years. And I would say to them, I said, well, if I'm being realistic, then we've got to kind of look at it in those terms going back. I said, because if it's taken this long to get up to the mountain peak, we've now got to walk back down the other side and it's not going to be quick. Mm. You will see some results, but they're not going to be miracles. I cannot offer you a quick <laughs> fix. I, I think you've got to be really honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's put it this way. Let me give you a scenario. Um, let's say, for example, a gentleman's had a heart attack. Yeah. As an example, okay? So they've had this big scare. 
they've had a heart attack, they've gone into hospital, whatever's going on there, they've stayed eight, 10 weeks trying to recover from that. All of a sudden, they're now in a place where they feel, you know what, I need to do something about this. My lifestyle is changing. And they come and see you, they sit down in front of you, I'm ready to change. They start crying in front of you, you know, my life needs changing. And then you set out the path and they still don't do it. What? Right. What for, is that? So there's the first problem. I would never set out the path. Okay. I let the client set the path out. Right. And then I'll look at that and go, yep, I like that. That's, that would work. And then I would, there might be things they're saying there that I think that's just not right. That's not the way it works. Mm. And then because I'm working with them in a motivation, what we would call with an MI spirit, I would ask them for permission <laughs> to give them information. I never impose information on people. So they might say, I want to do this. I want to do that. Now, as an, as an expert in the field, I'll go, the temptation is, oh, no, that's not right. No, what you need to do is da, 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 da. Mm. If, if you do that, you are not being what, what we would call autonomy supportive. That is your writing reflex. That's your natural reflex as an expert in the field. When you hear something wrong, you just go, no, that's not right. What you need to do is this. Yes. You have to resist that. Yeah. And so it's a different way of communicating with the client. But everything that's going to happen with that client, as much as is possible, should be client-led. Mm. Because then they've got ownership of it. True. So, so, so I never set out a program like that because it's it, it's it's me going i'm the expert you need to do this mm. and, and so now we haven't got an equal relationship and the problem with setting yourself up as the expert is the client now expects you to have all the answers mm. so now every time it goes wrong or they have a failure or they have a relapse they'll just come back to you and go well oh, this has happened what do i do now mm. and, and so they've never got ownership of the problem yeah, um, I, I, I totally, I'm, I'm, I'm on that, I'm, I'm with you. I've, very often I've done that, you know, well, no, you should be doing this or you should be doing that because it is, it is something as a coach we tend to do a lot, right? Um, yeah. Because, and I think that one of the reasons that might be, I don't know, you, I, I'm, you might think I'm wrong, is that the person is paying you because you are the expert and they expect you to know, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think one of the things that I've, a lot of clients I've worked with me is, well, Elder, I don't want to think about this. I've come to you because you're the expert. Just tell me what I have to do. I've got other things in my life going on at the moment. I don't really want to be learning about training. I don't want to really be learning about nutrition. I just want to be told what to do. And it doesn't matter how much you try and explain to them, look, this process is an education process for you so that you learn. So long-term, when you do get to a point Potentially, you're no longer working with me. You know what you're doing. Whereas if I just tell you what to do and then you go away for whatever reason, you're going to get stuck again. And yeah. then you're going to have to come back, right? Even yeah. after you have those conversations, they still say, no, no, no. I just want to just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Have you, have you had that? That's not a problem. Mm. Because they, by, by them saying that, they are now giving you permission yeah. to do that. Hmm. So, so you are being MI consistent there because they're actually saying, right, I'm happy for you to kind of, but even in that scenario, I would still offer options. Hmm. So I would kind of go, so this, so we'll take that scenario that the client says to me, no, no, you're the expert. You tell me what to do. I'm like, okay, then. So with your permission, here's some of the things we could try. 
I'll give you some options. You see which ones you think are going to work best for you. We could do this. Da, 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 da. We could do this one. Da, da, da. Or you might have some ideas of your own. And I always add that option in. Mm. And now they're making a choice from a kind of menu. Okay. Now, if you're any good as a trainer, you should be able to do that. If you, can't, if you can't do that, you are not a personal trainer. You're a gym instructor. Yes. That's the difference. A gym instructor's got one set thing. That's all they can do. A personal trainer oh, should have a far broader skill set. Well, it should have a bag of tools that you can use as and when exactly. needed. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. But always offer the client that op the options because now they feel involved. They've they've given you permission to give them that advice. Yes. But you're still involved. You're still saying ultimately the choice is going to be yours. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's subtle, but it's there. Yeah, I guess it's just that communication that you have to have with the client and and, and patience. It's the biggest thing in motivational interviewing is learning a new way to communicate. It's the hardest thing that trainers struggle with when they, le they start learning MI. Because I think the, yeah, go on. the issue with most of us coaches is the fact that most of us go into the industry because we are self-motivated ourselves to be fit, to be healthy. Uh, so for us, it comes easy, right? Yeah. Whereas when we're working with the general population, especially when we first start as coaches i mean i've been doing this for a few years now but at the beginning you you, you start thinking come on what, why are you not doing what i'm telling you you know <laughs> and it, it is and it's, until you start doing this for a few years and you start understanding a little bit more about psychology and mindset and, and and motivational interviewing i guess is a part of that you then start to thinking i'm gonna say these people don't have what i have so we need to speak to them in different ways yeah and, and i think as coaches i'll tell you what you know we, we're evolving every time you're never going to know everything and you know speaking to someone like you you're going to give us a load more information that we're going to be able to use to help our clients um and then something else will come up then that's why we need to continue to evolve as, as coaches to be able to help every different person that we work with because they're all individuals and and we have to have different skill sets as you mentioned to to, to work with those clients for sure so um in terms of the personal trainers that you've worked with, is there a certain type of personal trainer that you feel struggles more with this kind of thing than others? Yeah, I, I think the trainers that have got a big ego, that mm. think it's all about them and it's all about the six pack, and that, mm. and that is a problem. And it, it's interesting when you look across all counselling, because MI has been used in lots of different addictive counselling, so drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all these types of things and Terry Moyers who's one of the leading researchers in the world on motivational interviewing she's done some research into what who who or what makes the best counselor and ironically the biggest single factor in predicting a counselor's success or coach's success yeah. is empathy client trainers that have got good empathy for their clients achieve far better results even, but even when you look at experience and knowledge, the biggest single predictive factor of success was empathy. So, like you say, as trainers, we're, we like, you know, I always say this to Peter, is that you like going to the gym. You like being in that environment. Absolutely. A lot of your clients don't. Yeah. A, a friend of mine, Paul Orridge, who, who I work with at FutureFit, and he still writes a lot of their programs, but he's a physiolo physiologist. And he always used to say, and it always used to make me think, what? 
He said, what we should do with all personal trainers is make them walk around the gym in their underwear for a day. And I'm like, what are you on about? He says, because it's that feeling that the new client has. They think that everybody's looking at them, everybody's watching what they do, and they don't feel comfortable. And I said, if trainers realize that, their approach to a new client in a gym environment would be very different. Absolutely. So, So it has to come from the trainer. And I think if you can just understand your client you don't have to have been where your client's been you don't have to have been obese or Mm. not have money or whatever but you do have to at least be able to think right i can see where you're coming from absolutely get that across yeah totally totally agree um in terms of you working with clients face forget personal trainers Uh when you worked as a, a coach um and even now i don't know whether you still work with people one-on-one-to-one basis yeah i work with a lot of elite athletes at the moment okay so let's talk about elite athletes compared to a general population uh-huh so what difference do you see in an elite athlete to uh jane who's 20 pounds overweight over there in changing behaviors mindset all about mindset the difference between a gold medal medal winner and an also ran is often not physiology it's psychology Mm. Um, and and once you start talking to somebody who is in that elite category and it's kind of debatable at what point you become elite i guess they are they are very blinkered everything is about performance they are looking to tweak every they're looking for every little advantage they can find whether that be with mindset whether that be with their training uh their nutrition supplementing whatever it might be but they are very very blinkered they're able to shut out any other noise and everything is done around training and ultimately the end result Mm. fair enough yeah that is kind of i thought that would be the case anyway because most people that are athletes they love what they do right so they 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 always focused on that same with the bodybuilder, you know, like they love going to the gym. They love, they're so focused on that bodybuilding. That's why they, they stick to the plan. Um, all right. So let's, let's, go, let's look at it from a point of view of Jane over there, 20 pounds overweight, never been to the gym. Okay. Uh-huh. And I want to see your, if she was to come to you and I'm going to give you this scenario. So Jane, 20 pounds overweight, never been to the gym. Yeah. She's been to the doctors, doctor's advisor. Right, Jane, you, 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 your blood sugar levels are very high. You are border type, type 2 diabetic. Cholesterol levels are really high. Your blood pressure, you're taking medication for that. You need to do something about your fitness and your, your, your well-being, your health. Yeah. So Jane comes home. She decides, you know what? I need to go and see a personal trainer. So she comes to you. She comes to Gary. Yeah. Um, in your first interview, she tells you all about what I've just told you. Yeah. What would, you, what would be your approach forget i want you to say from a from your coach perspective yeah uh, so that maybe general population listening to this can maybe understand how would you approach that client and what would you do with them from their part i know that you'd go take them down the route of doing the the psychometric testing but how would you go from there in terms of and making her understand you know all of those things are really bad for her and then how would you make her get to a place where change is going to happen? Well, I can't make her understand that they're bad for her. But okay. what I can do is I can explore what she thinks about it. 
Okay. Just because a doctor tells somebody you're going to get type 2 diabetes, your blood sugar's high, whatever, they might not give a toss. Mm. You see people outside hospitals on a drip smoking. True, true. You think, well, hang on, you're in hospital on a drip. Surely that's enough of a scare. Mm. So scare tactics don't work. Mm. So you kind of have to find what that client's mindset is. And the best way to do that is get the client to talk. So ask them open questions. What do you feel about that? And blah, 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 blah. What impact will that have on your family? How do you, so really start to explore what it means to them. Because then they might, and in an MI terms, that's what we call engaging. It's kind of getting on the same page as the client. And the client should be doing all the talking. The rule is 80-20. You've got two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Use them in that ratio. So let the client unload to you because just listening to somebody, you will pick up where their cues are, what some of their drivers might be, what some of their motivation for it be. You don't make the assumption that, well, she's been told she's got type 2 diabetes, she's got high blood pressure. She must want to change that because mm. she might not. So mm. you can't, can't just assume that because you've got all these health warnings, that that is the reason the client will take action. Mm. It may be something completely different. It could be that they're not worried about their own health, but they are concerned that if they die early, they won't be able to look after their kids. Yeah. So your approach shouldn't be, I'm going to sort you out. It's we're going to sort this out together. So as you're there for your kids or whatever. So it really is finding out what the bigger picture is first. Oh, the deeper, the deeper root, right? Oh. Yeah, for sure. The underlying problem mm. and the underlying beliefs. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I have a question in my mind just now. When you while you were talking, and I wanted to touch on that, which was, um, yeah. So family members, as an example. Uh -huh. so I know this is a big problem, right? So Jane, for example, you know, she came to see you, had this conversation with her. You found a deeper root of why she wants to do this. Yep. She goes home. She then says to her husband, who doesn't really care about what she's doing, um, you know, he's just sitting there watching TV, having a beer. Oh, you want to go? You go and do what you want to do. But I still want my dinner the way it is. I still want things the way it is because it has been like this for the last 25 years yeah how do we then how do you then go about helping that lady change her lifestyle at home with her husband because her husband can be very and she can you know this is headaches too much i'm not gonna do it because i'm gonna cook two dinners one for him one for me and maybe even one for the kids right and then yeah. i'm gonna go for a walk and he's not gonna come i'm gonna clean i'm gonna do you know what i'm saying so how would you help someone in that situation with, I mean, you've touched on a really important point that often people overlook and it's peer group support. Mm. And kind of uh, your kind of most significant other, whether that be husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, will have an impact on the way you... So a key question to find out is how supportive is your husband, boyfriend, girlfriend going to be? And could we get them involved in the process? Certainly the trainers that took part in my research they tried to touch base with partners and that just to see if they would kind of take them on board. When I work with men in particular, it's quite interesting because men's weight management is very different to women. Okay. Men will be reluctant to talk to like colleagues at work because they'll be seen as always a bit weak or whatever. Mm. But I always say to them, tell your mates what you're doing. 
tell them that you're doing this program and what you need them to do for you. Now they might take the mick a bit at the first, but nine times out of 10, if they're true friends, colleagues, whatever, they will be supportive. So put up with a bit of banter at the start, but if you've got them on board, they won't try and undermine you anywhere near as much. So building that peer group support is really important. And, and let's say and, your, your closest person to your husband, your girlfriend, boyfriend, doesn't accept what you're doing. What would be your advice on that? It's difficult because you are going to have to tell, they at that point have got to make a choice. How important is it to them and how important is that relationship and their health and everything? And there isn't an easy answer. No. Some, some people will go, no, I just can't do this. If my husband or my wife isn't going to play ball, it's not going to work. And you kind of have to go, well, it is what it is. That's the way it is. However, they may say, I'm going to push on regardless because I'm a strong person. And if you're willing to help me, it could be that you become the key support and not the significant yeah. other. Absolutely. absolutely. So, so explore it. Don't be afraid of exploring it because it, it's kind of the elephant in the room otherwise. And you, you need to kind of get it out in the open. Yeah, I guess you, you can imagine it being really difficult, for example, someone who's been obese all their life. Uh, every, every, everyone, friends, family, they all know that person for being who they are, their habits, what they do. They may go out to eat three, four times a week. And that person is the one who eats all the pizza and the burgers and the chips. And all of a sudden, they made a change to their lifestyle. They're now becoming someone else that they, they've not been for 20, 25 years. And then people start noticing that. And like you said, if they don't talk to their friends about what they're doing, their friends are going to be asking questions, right? Well, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And it becomes a bit more of oh, all my attention's on me. I don't want the attention on me. You know, I want mm. to do this without, without people realizing what I'm doing. So I think one of the biggest things, as you mentioned, is, is communication with your closest people, friends, girlfriend, boyfriend, and just explain, look, I'm going on this journey. And this is the reason why I'm going on this journey, because I need to be healthy. Because right now I've got this problem, this problem, this problem. And if I want to live another 15 years. And I guess if you put it that way to your fam, fam, friends and family, they should support you, right? If, you if they're true friends, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing is, are they true friends? You know, yeah. you're, this will find out for sure. Because it could be that her, her or his friends group, they're also overweight. Yes. And they may actually feel awkward about the fact that suddenly... Absolutely. Your client is doing something about it. Absolutely. And they don't feel they can. And, and, can, and so they'll, they'll try and undermine it almost. And, and, and be, so at that point, the client's got to decide, do I stick with this friend group? Or does it mean that I've actually got to let them go because I'm moving on in life? Well, that could be so difficult if, you're, if you've been friends with someone for 20 years. Hugely. Yeah. So that's a very difficult situation, which I get, like you just said, there's no right or wrong answer. It's got to be up to them and they have to decide, you know, what's more important, right? Yeah. And if they're a true friend, they should stick by him anyway. hundred percent. Totally agree with you. And again, it comes down to when I used to do bodybuilding myself, I used to always sit down with my partner, my parents, when I used to live at my parents and say, look, I'm going through this process. This is why I'm doing it. I need you to stop asking me why you're yeah. eating this, you know, yeah. you know, or, or just eat this is not going to hurt. And you'd stop that because that's not helping me. That's, that's, that's putting me back. And, and that's the classic thing with the workmates and that, and I'll just have a beer. It won't matter. Or, oh, yeah. you can have a packet of crisps now and again, it won't hurt you. Yeah, absolutely. If they, if they understand, they'll stop that behavior. And that's why it's important to tell them early on. 
that communication is really, really important, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, Gary, um, anything else that you'd like to touch upon in terms of this mindset, MI, uh, that you think people would benefit from? Um, I, I would kind of point people to this particular paper. Okay. It's free on Google, so you can just search it. It's called uh, The Behaviour Change Wheel. Are you able to send me a link for that? And what I'll do is I'll, pull it, I'll pop it on the notes of the podcast. Yeah, I'll find it because it's, it's a free paper on Google. But the thing that's really important within it, from my perspective and from a trainer's perspective, yeah. is this here. It's the Combi model. Okay. And it's a model that they've based around 93 different theories. And I think trainers could implement this fairly simply. Brilliant. Because it just Brilliant. basically looks at a client's capability <clears throat> their opportunities and their motivation <clears throat> and capability is um the individual psychological i'm just reading from the actual text the psychological and physical capacity to engage in the activity concern and mm -hmm. it does include having the necessary knowledge and skills so a client so a trainer can assess that you know do they understand nutrition enough do they understand how to cook healthily shop properly those type of things so that's something is a fairly straightforward assessment yes and the opportunity side is defined as all the factors that lie outside the individual that make the behavior possible or prompt it so that's the stuff we've just been talking about the peer group the availability the time those type of things and so even if that's the only assessment you do is my client capable do they have the right opportunities if those are in place, that impacts on motivation. So the behavior change is more likely. So I would definitely kind of have a look at that paper because it will give you a, a feel. And they're using this type of assessment now with elite athletes. Okay. So even at the elite level, we're looking at, well, does the, does the athlete understand? Have they got the right opportunities in terms of venues, training, coaches, yeah. uh, physios, that, all those type of things. So it's a it's a basic assessment that can apply to anything we'll get those that link on the on the show notes yeah sure i'll, I'll, I'll dig that out for you and, and fire it over and then on the motivational interviewing side i would just read around it and and if you get the opportunity to learn it do it it was the for me it was the biggest single change i've made in 20 years as a trainer because i always kind of arrogantly assumed I was a good communicator. I thought, well, I've got a PhD, I'm teaching people, <laughs> I must be good at this. And then I went and learned motivational interview and it was a real culture shock to me. It was like, I talk too much, I don't listen enough. Mm. And it really made me change the way I communicate. And what brought home the effectiveness of this to me, very recently, funnily enough, I've been working with a nine-year-old international gymnast who was borderline eating disorders and so i followed the mi kind of spirit in terms of our consultation and that within a couple of weeks of talking with her and working with her she's now started to make changes and yet coaches parents everybody were hitting a brick wall. yeah and so just changing my approach made the difference and i don't think i'd have had that success even five years ago, because I'd have gone at it completely differently. Of course. In terms of, uh, if people want to learn more about that, what would be, what would you advise? Where, do you, where would you advise them to go? Uh, well, if you can go to my website, which you can see behind me here. I'll pop that on the link. Notice. Yeah, 
so there's lots of blogs on there so even if you don't do any of my courses then just read some of the blogs because i've covered a lot of this stuff in terms of listening and communication and what have you there's lots of kind of uh, information on my website about that totally free brilliant the psychometric yeah. testing recordings i've just reduced the price of that by 20 pence so for 20 pound now you can do learn about how to do psychometric testing with your clients brilliant. and get all the psychometric tests so i kind of slashed the price of that because i knew everybody was stuck at home and, and 20 pounds is, is nothing really is it Honestly, you'll get that. I, I pretty much would guarantee you'll get that money back with the first couple of clients to it because you could charge the client five, ten pounds just for doing the psychometric testing. Yes. Because it's yeah. kind of another thing they've got to do. So, yeah. And it makes you stand out as a trainer mm. because now mm. suddenly they're going to a trainer and the trainer's saying, right, well, the first thing I want you to do is complete this batch of tests. And they're like, whoa, nobody else has ever done that. And it's like, mm. so straight, straight away, you've got a unique selling point. Yeah, so, you know, it's yeah, for like, sure. Well, this, guy, this guy's a bit different. I tell you what, one of the uh, I was I went to, on holiday just before this whole thing happened last last October, and yeah. um, I was reading a book called Psycho Cybernetics. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, P pretty good book, uh, and it's all again to do with mindset and change. And I've got a few yeah. books on that. I've 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 got Atomic Habits in front of me that I'm about to start reading as well. Yeah. I, I said to my wife, I said, you know what, this year one of the biggest things for me is, is learning more about psychology, about mindset, because I feel that's the field that I need more work on. You know, the personal training, the biomechanics, the, the nutrition, I pretty much nailed that down to as much as I can with, yeah. with, with, with the people that I work with. I work just general population. I don't work with athletes, which I don't really intend to, to be honest with you. I love working with general population. Um, but the one thing that I feel that I really need to brush up on is, is really psychology and mindset. So I've been reading a lot about it and I've seen a lot of things and I've been trying to implement it. But MI is something that I've come across. I've actually got a book on MI, which I haven't started yet. Um, I can't remember the name of the book. I've got it, I bought it. Um, bear with us a second. If you want a book on MI, and I've got, I don't get anything, this book here. I've got it, that's what I've got. That is the perfect book for a trainer. I, when I when I taught the uh, one day talk workshop, yeah, I give all, I give all trainers this book as as the textbook because it's perfect. That. Yeah. So, so I'm going to start reading that for sure. Uh, and and you'll and get I'm, loads from it. I'm really glad that I obviously had this conversation with you because it's it's kind of embedding my my brain that how important this actually is. Because at the end of the day, I got into this business as a coach to be able to help people yeah to, to have an impact on their life so if i've not if i've not got those skills i'm probably missing out on a lot of people that i'm i could be helping and i'm not helping you well know? you must probably missing a whole bunch of people that you could help yeah and you're most probably not being as effective with the ones that you are helping absolutely. you know it could be another level of effectiveness absolutely i always say to trainers why do you try and recruit clients in the gym? And they're like, well, that's where they are. I'm like, yeah, but a very small percentage of the population mm -hmm. train in the gym. You're, the biggest client base is not going to the gym. No. So you should be recruiting outside of that. And that yeah. means having the confidence to maybe go and talk to the WI, a Women's Institute, or the Round Table, or someone like that. Yeah. Do some talking outside of the gym because there's a hell of a lot of clients out there 
that, that don't want to go near it because they're worried. They think, like we were talking about earlier, about that environment. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a massive untapped market out there, but it's having the skills to tap into it. Yeah, well, one of the reasons I opened my, my, my private, I've got a private little studio. And yeah. one, one of the reasons I did that is because of that reason, because I know most of my population, mainly being female, uh, are not really interested about going to a gym. They don't like it. They, they feel like you said, they feel uncomfortable. They, they look at a machine and like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? You know? So like you said, most of my clients that actually work with me probably very rarely go to a gym. Great. Especially, I mean, especially the females. My research was a lot of the guys that took part in the research, they didn't actually, although they were working with a PT, they didn't do formal exercise. A lot of them just got more active and walked more and ditched their cars and God knows what. Yeah. They all lost weight and they all reduced their waist circumference. You don't, so, need, you don't necessarily need to go to a gym to, to no. achieve. No, absolutely not. And that's something I always and, say. And I think personal life. trainers need to learn that. I said a decade ago that personal training should move. And this is when I was teaching level three PTs. I felt that training should move more towards lifestyle coaching. 100%. Because ultimately that's what you're doing with a client. Absolutely. You're helping them change their whole lifestyle. It, it's a big... It's a holistic picture. It's not one item. Well, just to give you an example, I had, had a, a client um, with, at the moment with this whole situation, we were doing a lot of virtual classes online. Um, and I had a client who sleep has been really poor. You know, stress levels are really, really high. And I said to her, you need to stop training. She was like, what do you mean? I was, you need to stop training. You need to just focus on sleeping, on eating well, and just go for nice walks and, and, and just do some breathing, some meditation. That's all I want you to do for the next week, two weeks. And then we'll revisit and see where we go from there. She was like, well, I want to train. I said, well, I'm not allowing you to train. I'm, I'm sorry. You're not, not in the way until you fix this, these little things here. Training is not going to do any good. It's only going to do more harm. And yeah. then I made her understand why. And she agreed with me. Uh, and, and I think a lot of PTs wouldn't do that because they would be scared that they would lose that client. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that we, as, as personal trainers, as coaches, should be looking at more in terms of the, the holistic lifestyle. Like training is probably not that important if the other things are not in place. Would you say? Oh, I would say if, if, the, if the ultimate goal is weight loss, and obviously there might be loads of other goals out there, of course. but the ultimate goal is weight loss, then training is like so far down the list of importance. It's like yes. ridiculous. Totally. Because unless you put everything else in place, the training will be totally ineffective anyway. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, uh, it could even do worse because they may feel more tired, more sore, which means they're not going to go for more walks. They might want to eat more because of those yeah. situations. So it could actually make situations a lot worse than, than what they already are. So no, totally. All right, Gary, look, just to finish off, um, I, I ask normally, I, I have four pillars that I live by. They call health, wealth, love, and happiness. Uh -huh. And I, I try to have a little bit of percentage on all those fours to amount to 100%. Not too much in one, not too, too little in another. Try to have a balance between all of them. So yeah. success, I don't, although I named the podcast Breathe Success, I don't like the word success too much because success can be defined very differently for everyone. Yeah. So, and this is why I asked this question at the end. And I'm going to ask you, out of those four pillars, for example, health, what does, what does success look like for you in terms of health? What's your... Um, 
I would say generally eating a healthy diet, but not all the time, not being worried about the odd bit of junk food here and there. Yeah. Um, moderation in terms of caffeine and alcohol, but again, not losing sleep over it and not being so blinkered that it's oh, and, and I think my pet hate in nutrition is labeling foods good and bad. I totally agree. Totally I, I agree. Totally, I totally disagree with that at all. It's well, like, I did your course, so I know that, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at, definitely. Yeah. So in terms of health, is it mainly that just a bit of balance between the nutrition side of things, the sleep, the stress, and just having and not worrying too much about if you go a little bit over whatever? Is that yeah, what you say? The odd, the odd kind of blip here or there is not going to kill you. You've got to, in terms of nutrition, you should always look at things in the bigger picture. And like, if you were to take a whole year, if 10 days out of that year you had chocolate cake, it ain't going to kill you. Absolutely. So it's like, but, but what often people do is they look at things on a weekly basis and they'll go, oh, I've had such a bad day there, the whole week's ruined. It's like, well, no. Don't worry about it too much because I think if you stress about that too much, then you, the next day you'll you'll just do another bad behaviour or another adverse behaviour. Then, okay, then it becomes like a snowball effect. Yeah, it carries on. In terms of wealth, what does success look like to you, Barry? Oh, that that's definitely happy family life and Perfect. just enjoying life generally. I, monetary wealth, I've I've learned is is not the be all and end all i used to be a telecommunications support engineer i was one of four people in europe could do my job and this is 20 odd years ago now no 20 no nearly 30 years ago now i was majorly highly paid but stressed to the nines yeah and the best thing i ever did was change and do something that i enjoy doing and now i love my job and it doesn't feel like work so if, if you can get to that place I think you've got it sussed. I'm at that place already, but a lot of people are not, unfortunately. And it's because, again, they're chasing money, 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 house, cars, you know, which if that's fair enough, if that's what they consider that to be uh, success in, in their wealth, right? I think with experience, you just learn that those things are nice, but they're not important. Yeah, yeah. In terms of um, love, what, what does success look like to you? Oh, that's... Definitely my missus. We'd be married 40 years next wow. year. 40 years. Congratulations. <laughs> What's the secret? What's the secret? She she puts up with a lot. She's tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's, that's what my wife would say. And in terms of <laughs> happiness, what would you say success looks like to you? Um, good friends. Enjoy. Have hobbies outside of your work. Don't, don't, have, don't have everything about work. Find something else that gives you pleasure whether that be just walking for me it's trying to learn saxophone and trying to learn a language badly i may what, add what language are you trying to learn spanish spanish <laughs> slowly and all <laughs> i'm um, i'm portuguese i was born in portugal so all oh, right i speak fluent portuguese i came over here when i was 15 so i did I'm a bit jealous of your english is good <laughs> i've been here for 21 years now so it's you know, all right so you've had a yeah. bit of time to practice yeah yeah but I, with the Portuguese, very similar to Spanish. So we, I can speak quite a bit of Spanish without ever learning Spanish. Yeah. Um, but the odd thing is, most Spanish people can't understand Portuguese, which is really interesting. Yeah. Well, a good, a good friend of mine is Eduardo Horta. And okay. he's a professor of psychology in Lisbon. 
Oh, wow. And I, and I met him on an MI course. And then we've bumped into each other a number of times. And now he brought his family over last time. So I went out with them and that. So we've become quite good friends. So, yeah. Does he live in the UK now then? No, no, he's, he's still based in Lisbon. He, okay. He's at the university there. Right, fair enough. I might see if I can find him on the social media and give him a follow. Ed, Ed, Eduardo Horta is his yeah. name. Yeah, sounds good. Really okay. nice, lovely guy, really lovely guy. Awesome. Um, well, Gary, all I wanted to say before we leave is, can you tell everyone where they can find you, um, what social media platforms, websites, anywhere that sure. want, they want to get in touch with you, they want to see your work? Uh, where would they find you? Okay, so my my website is uh, www.stagesofchange, or one word, .co.uk. Uh, my Twitter is Dr. Gary Mend, and that's just D-R, Gary, M-E-N-D, Dr. Gary Mend, or one word. And you can find me on Facebook either through my personal page or through the business, Stages of Change has got a business page as well. Awesome. And if you've got questions, just drop me a dm if it's something you don't want to discuss in public yeah, as it for sure well I, I hope whoever's listened to this is taking quite a lot away from it i certainly have as a coach and i'm definitely going to look at your a little bit deeper into into your work um i'm definitely going to invest in the in the psychometric te test for sure i think that'll be something that will be definitely helpful going forward for my for my clients and yeah. clients to come so I'd like to thank you so much for coming on, uh, Gary. Hopefully one day we can maybe have a chat a little bit more about your nutrition um, background because I know you, you're very, very passionate about that too. Because yeah. um, I know when I did the course with you, you know, the way you delivered it. Um, actually, talk, talking about that, you know you've got a few things for free at the moment. Have you got something to, in terms of nutrition for free? Because I'm sure yeah, I've seen you. On, if you go on my website, there's a, the Foundations of Nutrition course, which is really designed, well, for most of your clients. It's really basic stuff, you know, about food labelling, awesome. some basic biochemistry. That's free. And then the course that you did with me and Rich from yeah. the ACA. Yeah. And it's, it's the same course. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. It's, it's been lifted. Um, that's free now. You can do that for free. Oh, wow. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll pop that to both of those links in the show notes. So any, yeah. and I totally advise everyone to do that. The course I did was very in depth and I think it's definitely worth doing. And does that course still give you access to going to uni and doing more? It, um, the um, IOPN, the Institute of Optimum Performance Nutrition. Yeah. Um, they will accept completion of that course, providing you pass the exam and everything, obviously. They will accept that as a prerequisite to joining their higher diploma. Is that online or do you have to be there? Yeah, yeah, that's IOPN. They do, I think, I might be wrong, um, I think they do like two or three practical long weekends where you do some of the lab work and that. Okay. But that course, when you complete that, is recognised by the Sport and Exercise Nutrition Register. So for somebody that really wanted a career in nutrition, that would be the way to go, I think. Fair enough. So, so not necessarily for a personal trainer to go that, that far? Well, it, it depends. Because like you say, as, as a personal trainer, once you learn nutrition, a bit like me, sometimes you just think, do you know what? I'd rather do more of that. Yeah, to be um, honest with you, I love it. I and although it's, it's, it's mind-blogging at, at <laughs> yeah, times, uh, it, is, it is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, 
I absolutely love nutrition. It's something that I may look into myself. Obviously, having passed the test, I may look into that. So I might ask you to um, okay, go on there. IOPN. IOPN. Of Optimum Performance Nutrition. I love it. And the guy to speak to is Lauren Bannock. Oh, I, 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 I've actually, yeah, he did, he did a, a, a the ACA. He did like a um, asset. Yeah, well, I, I, I invited Lauren when we were working because obviously Lauren's a, a big friend of mine. Right. I remember, I remember uh, seeing something. If you're looking for a good p podcast, he'll be the one. Listen to you. We do science. He does a podcast and he gets the leading researchers in the world on there. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. So if you want a good podcast for sports nutrition, that's the one to go to. Awesome. Gary, look, I'd like to thank you so much for taking your time to be here with us. Hopefully, we'll ca catch up again on another topic. Yeah, sure. Uh, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again, mate. Well, thanks for inviting us on. No, you're, you're welcome. Thanks and have a lovely day, Betty. Cheers, how do you too. Care, I'll buy you over that link for the paper. That'd be great. Thank you so much, mate. Cheers, Em. Cheers. Bye-bye.